Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash my money health check. Hi all. This is Angus Farker, exec producer of the Witch Money podcast. As we know, things can move very quickly at Westminster, especially over the last few weeks. Since we've recorded this episode, Liz Truss has resigned from her position as Prime Minister. This, of course, means that some of the information given in this episode is subject to change. This includes the medium-term fiscal plan due on 31st of October, the pension triple lock and other potential tax changes. There's still some great information in there about mortgages, savings and investments, so I'm sure you'll find the podcast useful. Now, I'll hand you over to Lucia and the money team. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. No government can control markets, but every government can give certainty about the sustainability of public finances. Giving poorer pensioners who entirely depend on the state pension a below inflation rise could leave many in real difficulty. Interest rates have been rising, which means the cost to the government of borrowing money is much higher. And so I think the economic realities for the government have come home to roost. If you are lucky enough to be able to put a little bit of money away, mainly just make sure it's not sat in, in one of those high street bank accounts that is just earning nothing. Just try and get a little bit of a return and, and help yourself out. Today, we're reflecting on another wild week in the world of finance. Since our last episode, we've got a new Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, and on Monday, he reversed almost all of the government's plans from the recent mini-budget. Let's have a quick listen to a clip of Jeremy Hunt from earlier this week. A central responsibility for any government is to do what's necessary for economic stability. This is vital for businesses making long-term investment decisions, and for families concerned about their jobs, their mortgages, and the cost of living. No government can control markets, but every government can give certainty about the sustainability of public finances. Now for this week's show, I'm joined by a stellar lineup of guests to help us make sense of how these dramatic U-turns will affect your money and the economy. We have the deputy editor of Which Money magazine, Sam Richardson. Later on to talk savings, we'll be hearing from which journalist, Danielle Richardson. And I'm delighted to say that for today's episode, we're also joined by Laura Souter, head of personal finance at AJ Bell. Now, firstly, Sam and Laura, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hi, Lydia. Thanks for having me. Well, Sam, I wanted to start today by looking back at the last time you were on the podcast, which was just a few weeks ago after the mini budget. And in fact, listeners might remember hearing you say this. Certainly when Trust was talking today on the radio, there was no sign of a reversal. And she is heading a party whose most famous leader coined the phrase 
the lady's not for turning. So just a few weeks later, here we are with the Prime Minister Liz Truss's mini budget, you could say largely in tatters. Can you take us through what plans have been reversed? Well, Lucia, I'm quite mortified to hear that clip again. (laughs) It's a good reminder that I should stick to personal finance journalism and keep out of politics. Though, to be fair, at the moment, it's quite difficult to separate the two. Uh, So let's go through the many U-turns. Perhaps the most controversial measure of the mini budget, the scrapping of the 45% additional tax rate. Mm. That was reversed on the 3rd of October. If Quasi Quarteng thought that would be enough to reassure markets and keep his job, it wasn't. The value of the pound remains lower than it was pre-budget. On October the 14th, he was sacked, achieving the unenviable record of being the UK's second shortest lived chancellor ever. The record holder, by the way, actually died on the job a month in. So his replacement, Jeremy Hunt, hasn't taken long to scrap most of the rest of the mini budget. Corporation tax, due to drop to 19%, will stay at 25%. But in some cases, Hunt has actually gone further. So Quarteng had originally attempted to bring a reduction in the basic rate of tax, which was due to go from 20% to 19% and was due to happen in April 2024. He tried to make that happen in April 2023. Hunt hasn't just reversed that decision. He scrapped the fall in the basic rate of tax altogether. It will stay at 20%. Most concerningly for households, Hunt has rolled back the energy price guarantee, which limited what you'd pay per unit of energy. Rather than lasting for two years, it will now end in April next year. Some parts of mini-budget do survive, including the cuts national insurance and the increased tax-free thresholds for stamp duty. But with a medium-term fiscal plan due on October the 31st, there may be future U-turns to come. And Laura, what kind of impact has this had on the economy? Because it took a huge hit after the mini budget, didn't it? Uh, we saw the pound hit an all-time low against the dollar in just the days after it. Um, so how is it looking after the U-turns? Has the market responded positively? Yeah, and I think it's important to bear in mind that this um, announcement, the kind of U-turns announced by the Chancellor, were very much focused on pleasing the market. They weren't focused on kind of wider voters or even the Tory party itself. The job that the government had was to improve conditions in the market. And I think there's probably quite a lot of relief at number 10. The markets responded pretty positively. You would hope that that was going to be the case considering Mm. how much they unwound of that mini budget. Um, So if we look the the FTSE 250 index, which is kind of more of a barometer of um, UK fortunes because it's more domestically focused, that was up more than 2% after the announcement. Um, The pound is now back to roughly where it was before the mini budget was announced. Um, So I think what we've got is a case of markets stabilising rather than kind of a full recovery. And those gilt yields that became such a talked about hot topic um, prior to these announcements, um, they've kind of they've dropped from where they were, but they're still above their pre mini budget levels. So they've kind of moderated a bit, but they still not returned to where they were before all of the mini budget announcements. Um, But of course, this week, we didn't just see a reversal to much of the mini budget, throw into the mix the announcements of tax hikes on the way. And there were rumour changes to the expected state pension rise. Sam, can you tell us more? Yeah, so the Chancellor has warned that decisions of eye-watering difficulty will be needed. 
but what those are, we're yet to really find out. So far, a lot of the coverage has focused on what changes Hunt and Liz Truss will and won't rule out as opposed to concrete decisions. So let's talk about the triple lock. The triple lock determines how much state pensions go up each year. They'll go up by the previous September's consumer price inflation. Average earnings or 2.5%, whichever is higher. That means in April, if the triple lock stays in place, the state pension will increase by 10.1%. But the government Mm. could choose to ignore inflation or tie the state pension increase to average earnings or 2.5% or pick another figure entirely. So despite rumours, Liz Truss did say in Prime Minister's questions that she'd commit to the triple lock. Of course, Liz Truss has committed to several things in recent months and weeks that haven't turned out uh, in, in practice. And whether she's still in office come next April, when the state pension will actually change, is of course questionable. But let's remember that the triple lock is very important to a lot of people. Changing it would be hugely unpopular especially during a cost of living crisis, giving poorer pensioners who are entirely dependent on the state pension a below inflation rise could leave many a real difficulty. Now, I should say we we will be doing an episode looking specifically at pensions in the very near future. So if you've got a question you'd like us answering, do email us um, at podcasts at which.co.uk. Now, going back to what we've been hearing today, uh, it does feel like Jeremy Hunt has struck a very different tone to his predecessor, Kwasi Kwarteng, as we heard from our clip earlier. In September, it was all about tax cuts, yet now it seems like a further period of austerity. This is a drastic shift, isn't it, Laura? It's a huge shift. I think if you think it feels like only last week we were talking about the fact that there were tax cuts for all, there was articles about how much extra people's take-home pay would be each month, mm. and there was a re- this real target on kind of huge growth of the economy, and that's how they were going to pay for it. Now, as you say, we're talking about spending cuts. There's mention of austerity. Um, Jeremy Hunt in his speech talked about there being difficult decisions that would have to be made. And that just feels like a complete reversal from what the public were expecting and and what they had seen. I think some of the key things are we need to see that OBR report, the Office for Budget Responsibility, that report at the end of the month, which is kind of the checks and balances on how the government's doing and what their plans will cost. But I think the reality is that what we've got is even though the the government has um, reined in that energy price guarantee and it now will only be effective for six months, that still has a huge price tag attached to it. And alongside that, interest rates have been rising, which means the cost to the government of borrowing money is much higher. And on top of that, the Bank of England is no longer a keen buyer of that debt. And so I think the economic realities for the government have come home to roost. So let's hear then about how recent changes will be trickling down to affect your money and the bills you're paying. Now, mortgage rates, they have, of course, shot up over the last few weeks. And according to a report on the Tuesday just gone, the 18th, two-year fixed mortgage rates were at their highest in 14 years, averaging at 6.53%. And in reality, this means people looking for a new mortgage, coming to the end of a fixed deal, will be faced with paying potentially hundreds of pounds more a month. Sam, are things likely to improve anytime soon? Uh, not likely. Uh, the Bank of England is expected to raise the base rate. That's the rate that banks pay to borrow. 
with the Bank of England itself predicting the base rate could reach 3% by mid next year before starting to fall. So mortgage rates will be a fair bit higher than that as well. But the idea is that by raising the base rate, and which raises interest rates, you make households spend less of their money. That's in theory, of course, but it can take months to happen. Rates on fixed rate mortgages, where your interest rate won't change for a few years, usually two or five, they've already shot up. That's because lenders have already taken account of future base rate rises. They've priced in those rates. However, that means that the mortgage rates probably won't increase much anytime soon unless there's new, unexpected, bad news that lenders need to deal with. Variable rate mortgages, on the other hand, will gradually increase with future base rate rises. They may have not already gone up that quickly. Either way, you know, your variable rate is going to go up. So what's your advice then for people? Should we be trying to to lock in a deal as soon as we can? This depends on personal circumstances, really. You know, a mortgage is probably the biggest loan you'll ever take out. So don't rush this Mm. decision. And I really would advise speaking to a mortgage broker. They're experts. They've got access to the entire market. They can get you a much better deal. So if you're on a variable rate, definitely talk to a broker because it may make sense for you to fix your rate, which would give you stable, if you know, somewhat high repayments. If you're more than nine months away from a fixed deal expiring and you're on one, sit tight. Your repayments are probably a lot lower at the moment than they're likely to be. If you move your mortgage early, you could be faced with early repayment charges, which could be quite considerable. If you're within nine months of your fixed deal ending, talk to a mortgage broker because you may be able to lock in a new rate before your old mortgage rate ends. So your new rate is likely to be higher than what you're currently paying, but at least it will be stable. You can expect what you'll be paying each month and you can plan ahead. Now, before we talk about the flip side of interest rates uh, rising and how that will affect your savings, there is one announcement which seems to have gone slightly more under the radar. And Sam did touch on it earlier on. And that's the news that the energy price freeze previously announced as as set to last two years uh, will now be ending for many of us next April. Now, the Chancellor also said the most vulnerable will be protected with targeted support measures, but it's not yet clear what these will be. Let's hear from our energy expert, Marianne Cownan, about what the change could mean for many of us and our bills next year. We've had another curveball thrown at energy customers this week, this time regarding the government's energy price guarantee. So this scheme was due to freeze energy unit rates from now until October 2024 for all domestic customers in England, Scotland and Wales. So we've only got six months of this being in place as opposed to the originally planned two years. And from that point, so April 2023, the government has said that it will look to help target help towards those who are most in need of it instead of doing so universally. Alongside this, the Treasury has promised a review into how and by how much different groups of people will get help paying their energy bills from next April. But it's not yet been disclosed who will be eligible for this help or in fact what the support is going to be. 
And once the energy price guarantee comes to an end in April, you can expect very high energy prices to continue, unfortunately. So the latest predictions that we've seen from the energy consultancy firm Cornwall Insight have found that annual energy bills for a typical dual fuel tariff, so that's your gas and electricity, will be £4,347 per year in six months time if the government doesn't offer special support. Some really striking figures there from Marianne. Um, Sam, what does this all mean for inflation? Is it likely to keep rising? So energy prices were one of the main factors driving inflation and they're likely to continue to be. So prior to the energy price guarantee being introduced, In August, the Bank of England expected inflation to peak at 13%. And it expected that peak to come around now. After the guarantee was introduced, but before Hunt paired it back, they adjusted this peak to 11%, again happening this month, with an expectation that inflation would stay above 10% for a few months before starting to come down. So we don't know whether the end of the energy price guarantee in April will delay that drop in inflation that the Bank of England expects. Energy prices are a huge part of what we pay and they affect the cost of many others, manufactured goods, food goods, business uh, expenses. So they have a huge impact. And of course, the base rate has already been creeping up this year, which theoretically should mean better savings rates. Laura, can you talk us through why this is, but also why it seems to take longer to trickle down to the savings rates we're, we're getting? Yeah, and I think a lot of savers will be finding that quite frustrating at the moment, particularly if they're coming to remortgage and we've seen mortgage rates mm. absolutely soar and people will be thinking, well, why am I not getting a better return on my savings? Um, mm. I think we have seen savings rates pick up a lot um as base rate rises so too does the um does the rate that you're offered on your savings but only if you really switch around or open new accounts or move your money so most people that have cash sitting in a current account or an old savings account won't benefit from base rate increases and won't benefit from the competition we're seeing in the savings market and that's particularly the case if you're with a high street bank so one of those big well-known brand names but The good news is that you can look at the best buy tables, see how much more you could get and switching is very easy now. But banks don't like to hand over the increases easily. They prefer to kind of pocket that difference and boost those profits. And so lots of the names that you'll find at the top of the best buy tables offering the most attractive savings rates will often be companies that you've never heard of. These are kind of smaller challenger banks or app-only banks. So you just need to do a bit of due diligence um, and check around that they're protected and FCA registered, for example, before you switch your money to them. So let's see how much you can get for your savings right now. And for this, we have which journalist, Danielle Richardson, with us. And you've been crunching some numbers. Can you tell us the average saving rates we might be able to get and also some of the top savings rates we should be aiming for? Hi. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so I've been having a look uh, just before recording. Um, there's been an awful lot of movement on savings rates recently, uh, especially compared to what we saw during the pandemic when it seemed like a bit of a race to zero and rates kind of mm. just sat there for months on end. In terms of average rates, we're actually seeing 10-year highs um, across instant access and fixed term accounts with some particularly steep increases since June of this year. 
for instance, the average rate uh, for instant access accounts has basically doubled in that time. It's up from um, 0.46% in June to 0.99% in October. Similarly, one-year fixed-term accounts are really rocketing. Uh, In June, the average rate was 1.53%, and now we're seeing an average of 2.68%, which, yeah, is, is huge. It all needs to be looked at in the spectrum of what is happening with inflation, but I will come on to that. And obviously, that is just the average rate. So if you're looking at the top deals, you can find something much higher and, and banks are in quite a lot of competition for that top spot at the moment. So really, it's it's changing every day. And if you see an account that you like the look of, um, I would say you've really got to act quickly. Otherwise, it could disappear. So uh, with that in mind, without mentioning any specific accounts that might have disappeared by the time anyone's actually listening to this, what I would say is that you can easily get uh, 2% or more for an instant access account at the moment. And that's one with no sort of restriction. So you can make as many withdrawals as you like. For something paying sort of 3% or just under, we're starting to see some offers come through with more specific terms that you have to stick to and and look out for. Um, So that could be, you know, maybe you're not allowed to make any withdrawals for a certain amount of time, or there's only a certain number each year, and and you have to maintain a certain balance. And that's really something to watch out for, because if, if you fail to stick to those terms, it could be that a load of the interest that you've been offered is wiped out. For something a bit more long-term, um, we're looking at fixed top rates of, of over 5% now. You can get 5.1% for a five-year fixed-term account, which is much better than it was, but um, still only half the current rate of inflation. And while you're scanning around for the best rate, what are the kinds of savings methods that will give a bigger return than others right now? So um, you'll generally get a higher interest rate if you lock up your savings in a fixed term account. Usually it follows, you know, the longer the term you've agreed to, the more interest you'll be offered. It's not always the case, but that that is generally what you'd expect. There are a few things that you'd need to think about first. You know, you, you need to consider how much you're putting away or whether you can really do without it for a year or even longer. There's no point going for a fixed term account if you then need to essentially break that contract, that fixed term, as often you'll be charged a massive chunk of the interest that you've earned, which, you know, makes your savings effort a little bit pointless then. And then you've also got to weigh up essentially what what do you think is going to happen next? Like, yes, sure, if you secure a top rate five year account now, you'll be laughing if rates take another tumble in the next year or couple of years. But as as we've already mentioned, we're expecting the base rate to go up again. So banks could keep upping the rates. And, and if you've taken a gamble and put all of your money in this five-year fixed-term account, you're, you're going to lose out if rates get better. It's a really tough one to call. I'd, I'd usually advise hedging your bets, perhaps splitting up your savings. So you can do a bit of everything um, and not, not lose out. And can we touch on investing? Laura, you mentioned the FTSE earlier and and how the stock market is kind of starting to spring back to life. But if you're happy to take on a bit more risk than a savings account, is now a good time to invest? It's tricky, isn't it? Because cash is 
becoming more attractive, like Danielle was talking mm. about. And um, previously, when cash was offering you absolutely zero return, it was a no-brainer to invest just to make your money work harder and, and get a better return. Now, if you can get cash accounts with kind of basically no risk for 4 or 5%, um, it makes that, that kind of balance a little trickier. Mm. But what I would say is you kind of go through your you have your money in cash that you need for the short term. And if you are fortunate enough at the moment, amid all of these price rises, to have spare money on top of that, um, then it's a good idea to get into investing. And I think a lot of people are nervous at the moment because markets have been very volatile and people are nervous about buying in at the wrong point. Um, but it's impossible to predict at any time. It's impossible to try and time the market. And there's kind of no point in trying to do so. So I would say that for those people that are nervous, putting a little bit of money in, setting up something like regular investing where you allocate an amount of money each month and that automatically goes in and doing things like that to kind of help mitigate your risk. Because at the moment, lots of people will be seeing that the market has fallen in value. And some people see that as, well, that's effectively those shares being on sale. You're getting Mm -hmm. them cheaper than you would have done previously. But I think you do just have to have a slightly stronger stomach at the moment because things are quite unpredictable. And finally, then looking ahead to the next few months and considering the predictions industry experts are making, what's the key advice that you think our listeners should be taking away from today's episode? So I think it's probably to make the most of what you've got with the current information that you have. So we've talked a lot about kind of U-turns, things being reversed. It's quite hard to predict what's going to happen in politics and market in normal times, but at the moment it's almost impossible. And I think there are some people out there that are kind of paralysed by indecision or wanting to wait things out. Now, I'm not saying you should kind of rush in foolhardly and sign up to the first long fixed rate account or the first mortgage you find. But I think it's not being um, quite so concerned about what's happening at the moment and just kind of make the most of what you can with the information you've got. Yeah, I think I would... I would probably echo most of that. And I think, you know, as we've said, if you are lucky enough to be able to put a little bit of money away um, into into a savings account, you know, it's not going to be inflation. It's not necessarily, you know, perhaps you can't um, afford or commit to it over a long term, but mainly just make sure it's not sat in, in one of those high street bank accounts that is just earning nothing. Just try and get a little bit of a return and and help yourself out. Thank you so much to Danielle, Laura and Sam for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please do hit subscribe to make sure you catch us again next week. For more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And we also have a free money newsletter which is delivered to your inbox every Monday. To sign up, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded, produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Grace Witherden. Mm-hmm.